welcome to Spiritual Storytelling, where we talk about stories from around the world and the power they hold to help us heal from trauma and addiction. Thanks for tuning in for episode two. This is The Bridge, untangling the dynamic of codependency. Today's story is found in Friedman's Fables. This is a collection of really simple stories that ask some of the most profound questions about the world and relationships as we know them. Edwin Friedman was from New York City, but worked mainly in Washington, D.C. as an ordained rabbi and family therapist. This story is really simple today, guys, but it leaves us with a lot to think about, so we're going to jump right in. There was a man who had given much thought to what he wanted from life. He had experienced many moods and trials. He had experimented with different ways of living, and he had had his share of both success and failure. At last, he began to see clearly where he wanted to go. Diligently, he searched for the right opportunity. Sometimes he came close, only to be pushed away. Often he applied all his strength and imagination, only to find the path hopelessly blocked. And then, at last, it came. But the opportunity would not wait. It would be made available only for a short amount of time. If it were seen that he was not committed, the opportunity would not come again. Eager to arrive, he started on his journey. With each step, he wanted to move faster. With each thought about his goal, his heart beat quicker. With each vision of what lay ahead, he found renewed vigor. Strength that had left him since his early youth returned. And desires, all kinds of desires, reawakened from their long dormant positions. Hurrying along, he came upon a bridge that crossed through the middle of a town. It had been built high above a river in order to protect it from the floods of spring. He started across. Then he noticed someone coming from the opposite direction. As they moved closer, it seemed as though the other were coming to greet him. He could see clearly, however, that he did not know this other who was dressed similarly except for something strange tied around his waist. When they were within hailing distance, he could see that what the other had about his waist was a rope. It was wrapped around him many times and probably, if extended, would reach a length of about 30 feet. The other began to uncurl the rope and just as they were coming close, the stranger said, pardon me, would you be so kind as to hold this end for a moment? Surprised by this politely phrased but curious request, he agreed without a thought, reached out, and took it. Thank you, said the other, who then added, two hands now, and remember, hold tight. Whereupon, the other jumped off the bridge. Quickly, the free-falling body hurtled the distance of the rope's length, and from the bridge, the man abruptly felt the pull. Instinctively, he held tight and was almost dragged over the side. He managed to brace himself against the edge, however, and after catching his breath, looked down at the other dangling close to oblivion. What are you trying to do? He yelled. Just hold tight, said the other. This is ridiculous, the man thought and began trying to haul the other in. He couldn't get the leverage. It was as though the weight of the other person and the length of the rope had been carefully calculated in advance so that together 
they created a counterweight just beyond his strength to bring the other back to safety. Why did you do this? The man called out. Remember, said the other, if you let go, I will be lost. I am your responsibility, said the other. But I did not ask for it, the man said. If you let go, I am lost, repeated the other. He began to look around for help. But there was no one. How long would he have to wait? Why did this happen to befall him now? just as he was on the verge of true success. He examined the side, searching for a place to tie the rope. Protrusion, perhaps, or, or maybe a hole in the boards. But the railing was unusually uniform in shape. There were no spaces between the boards. There was no way to get rid of this newfound burden, even temporarily. What do you want? He asked the other hanging below. Just your help, the other answered. How can I help? I can't pull you in, and there is no place to tie the rope so that I can go and find someone to help me help you. I know that. Just hang on. That will be enough. Tie the rope around your waist. It'll be easier. Fearing his arms could not hold out much longer, he tied the rope around his waist. Why did you do this? He asked again. Don't you see what you have done? What possible purpose could you have had in mind? Just remember, said the other, my life is in your hands. What should he do? If I let go, all my life I will know that I let this other die. If I stay, I risk losing my momentum towards my own long sought after salvation. Either way, this will haunt me forever. With an ironic humor, he thought to die himself instantly, to jump off this bridge while still holding on. That would teach this fool. But he wanted to live, and to live fully. What a choice I have to make. How shall I ever decide? As time went by, still no one came. The critical moment of decision was drawing near. To show his commitment to his own goals, he would have to continue on his journey now. It was already almost too late to arrive in time. But what a terrible choice to have to make. A new thought occurred to him. While he could not pull the other up solely by his own efforts, if the other would shorten the rope from his end by curling it around his waist again and again, together they could do it. Actually, the other could do it by himself so long as he, standing on the bridge, kept it still and steady. Now listen, he shouted down. I think I know how to save you. And he explained his plan. But the other wasn't interested. You mean you won't help? But I told you, I can't pull you up myself. And I don't think I can hang on much longer. You must try, the other shouted back in tears. If you fail, I die. The point of decision arrived. What should he do? My life or this other's? And then a new idea, a revelation. So new, in fact, it seemed heretical. So alien was it to his traditional way of thinking. I want you to listen to me carefully, he said. 
because I mean what I am about to say. I will not accept the position of choice for your life, only for my own. The position of choice for your life I hereby give back to you. What do you mean? The other asked, afraid. I mean, simply, it's up to you. You decide which way this ends. I will become the counterweight. You do the pulling and bring yourself up. I will even tug a little from here. He began unwinding the rope from around his waist and braced himself anew against the side. You cannot mean what you say, the other shrieked. You would not be so selfish. I am your responsibility. What could be so important that you would let someone die? Do not do this to me. He waited a moment. There was no change in the tension of the rope. I accept your choice, he said at last, and freed his hands. This story presents us with a dynamic that is played out in all relationships, between addicts and enablers, parents and children, lovers, churches and their congregants, jobs and their employees, and on into infinity. Um, because of the flexible nature of this dynamic, throughout our discussion today, you'll hear me use partner uh, remember that this can be substituted for parent, boss, son, sister, etc. Partner in this context simply means the other party in the relationship. Instead of taking these instances individually, we're going to take a look at the dynamic itself, the positions of both characters in the story, and how they're horribly intertwined. We're going to start with the man on a journey. So, first and foremost, what Joseph Campbell calls the call to adventure is a crucial point in everyone's life. At some point, we are all summoned to follow our highest, most divine self. But to hear that call and to really understand it, we often have to silence all the other voices in our lives. For example, like what if the first man met the second before he found out where he wanted to go and what he wanted to do? What if he wasn't already on this journey? If he met this guy, say, on the way home from the grocery store, how would the story look? What would be different about it? I mean, he would have a lot less reason to want to free himself and embrace his own journey. So this is the risk that we take when we refuse to spend time in our own depth. If we never take the time to be alone, outside of our family's expectations or romantic relationships, you know, codependent friendships, if we're already entangled, it is that much more difficult to hear that call to adventure. This is because we often use relationships to prevent us from fulfilling our own true potential. We tend to find project relationships with people who need healing just as we do, even if we don't see that at first. We attract those whose shadow looks remarkably like our own. And once in the relationship, we tell ourselves that we cannot move on without them. I mean, we, we bond to these people. We've made a life with them. But what we don't realize is that we fell in love with potential in the first place, and we've stayed there. We've waited for some point in the undetermined future when this person can grow with us. And maybe they make small progress, and we'll stand on that and say, see, I knew I was right. Like, we can make this work. 
for example, if the man dangling off the bridge were to coil the rope around himself once or twice and then went still and resistant, it would likely give the man on the journey enough hope to hang on just a little longer, only for the first man to realize that the second is not going to pull himself up at all, full stop, no matter what, period. It's going to make this process much longer, and he will be late for his engagement. He will miss it. He will miss that opportunity. And at that point, when he does finally decide to let go of this responsibility, the man on the end of the rope can easily say, okay, but I'm closer now than I was. Can't you just hang on a little longer? Look, I'm doing some work. The thing is, though, the man on the journey accepted this responsibility blindly. He took the rope. He was distracted by the wounded man's politeness. As Bluebeard taught us, when we're living in our inner child, we tend to overlook red flags and simply take our place in the unfolding drama. Whether he asked for it or not, he accepted that place in the equation. But this feeling of rope burn is a really serious sign that we are not meant to ignore. It at first can kind of just seem like compatibility problems, but if we look deeper, these are foundational issues. This is a, a serious wounded call from the relationship that suggests that there are some really serious codependent patterns going on. Like a leak, this suggests both that, okay, yeah, it's rained. Yeah, you may not be compatible. But if you think about it a little more carefully, you might realize that you're living in a house that needs a new roof. The structure of the relationship is often reflected in the function. What I mean by that is that the issues that we see crop up from time to time are mirrors um, for the issues in the relationship as a whole. They reflect the larger expectations and wounds and beliefs of both participants. And this brings me to why this dynamic is so prevalent in wounded people. And I want to talk a little bit about the man at the end of the rope. Because we can so often relate to the plight of the first man, feeling like we are held down by the people in our lives or we are held back from being who we really are. But how often are we, how often do we admit to ourselves that we are also the man with the rope? Can you ask yourself, like, what do people really owe us? Are we not responsible for attaining what we need for ourselves? Because the standards for societal rules are not near as set in stone as we would like to believe them to be. And we often bring our own relationships of them to the table without discussion. So we're both living out this subjective understanding of what our role is and what it's supposed to be, but in wounded people, we don't usually sit down at the beginning and say, I expect a partner or a boss or a parent to abide by these rules. Here is each member's responsibility in this relationship. We walk into it with those already attached to us, and we don't get clear with one another on expectations and agreements and negotiations. When we, like the man on the rope, are wounded, we often subconsciously seek out others to help us carry the load of our mess. 
we feel completely incapable of taking care of ourselves, like the weight of our inadequacies and self-hatred is just too heavy for only us to carry. And this kind of goes back to the unparented child. So when we're unparented, we spend our lives looking for guidance, looking for structure, looking for boundaries in other people. And often we can find them in our partners, both romantic and otherwise. And, you know, before it comes up, this goes way beyond like the sexualization of words like baby and daddy. I know that's kind of a joke at this point that we all like to laugh about collectively as a culture, but this dynamic really suggests low or no sense of worth or ability to care for ourselves. So in that way, we victimize ourselves by looking to others to do our saving. We ask them to meet our needs unfailingly, and we ultimately rob ourselves of independence and self-sufficiency. A good sign that this is going on below your conscious awareness is not knowing how to be alone. Ask yourself, can you be alone with yourself when you're sad, when you're angry? What about hurt or scared? Can you be alone with those feelings without reaching for something to distract you or numb you? If everyone around you is busy, do you take it personally? If so, this might indicate that you should probably look at what your expectations are for relationships and if they're reasonable and healthy for everyone involved. Because the strive to be parented might look different ways for different people. Of course, we can see this really dramatic parallel between people who hold their life or well-being over the heads of their partners. So if your boyfriend threatens suicide or relapse or self-harm if you leave him, or if your mom just cannot get it together and is going to fall flat on her face and tells you that she just can't live without you. In those situations, it's really the same variation. So this, this deep desire to be parented, it, it can manifest in smaller and more subtle ways. So if we had a bad day, do we feel like our partners should set aside their plans to spend time with us? If they can't meet that need, if something else is going on, if it's really important, if they can't drop what they're doing, do we feel betrayed, let down, angry, maybe neglected? Or if in an argument, might we feel that our partner pushed or triggered us and that somehow makes them responsible for the way that we reacted? Or if our partner hurts our feelings, do we shut down to prove to them that they did something wrong and put it on them to make us talk again or okay again? You know, are we putting the responsibility of the relationship on them and making it contingent on what they do for us to be okay? Or do we sometimes do something helpful or kind for our partner only to feel frustrated and angry when they seemingly take that for granted? If we give a gift and our partner doesn't receive the gift the way that we want them to or doesn't do with the gift the way we think they should, are we feeling frustrated? Are we feeling taken advantage of? Are we jumping in to help only to be later resentful of the help that we're giving? 
These tactics, while not as dramatic as the examples in the story, are still really coercive, abusive, and manipulative. We don't like to own up to these parts of ourselves. But when we leave them unchecked, we continue to sit in a place of powerlessness and victimization, and we just perpetuate the cycle. That said, it's time to get honest. So in the back of his collection, Friedman poses discussion questions for each story. And in the discussion questions for the bridge, we find a key to unlocking this whole dynamic. He leads us very gently and asks us to realize that both of these men are the same man. Both men here are two halves of the same whole. They're not taking different approaches. When we refuse to free our hands, we are victimized. We ask ourselves, why are you doing this? Instead of, why am I doing this? Or we say things like, I can't live without you. Or if I let go of this job or this church or this girlfriend or this really crazy relationship with my mom or my sister, they, they would just be lost. They really couldn't handle things without me. So just as the second man's well-being lies with the first, the first man's ability to live out his destiny depends on the second. We don't want to live with a rope in our hands, but we refuse to let go. How is this any different from not being willing to pull ourselves up? We're in an agreement in the relationship itself that both are responsible for other, while neither is responsible for self. If you relate on one struggle here, if you relate to the man on the journey, or if you conversely relate to the man at the end of the rope, just know that the other is reflected in your shadow. When we put others before ourselves, we are always going to subconsciously expect them to do the same. So even if we see ourselves as saving someone, we might look to other people in our lives outside of that one relationship to save us from that effort. Think back, when the man on the journey takes the rope and realizes that he's got a huge problem, he immediately begins looking to others to help him help the second man. We deny the responsibility that we have to ourselves, making another responsible for our actions or inactions. When we play the savior to the point of self-detriment, we are making our growth contingent on another person. We see this with enablers all the time. So in a codependent relationship between an enabler and an addict, the enabler cannot be okay if the addict they love is not okay, which if you're in active addiction, you're never gonna be okay. So in this situation, who's holding the rope? Regardless, this dynamic is one that is not as simple as victimizer and victimized. The first man accepts responsibility for the second by taking the rope and allowing the plight of the jumper to impede his journey. By refusing to choose himself, his life now depends on the actions of the jumper. They're both on the same ends of the rope, y'all. And the pressure cannot be lifted from either until someone decides to take responsibility for themselves and only themselves. One must choose to draw boundaries around themselves, not only to protect them from others who would ask them to carry their weight, but also 
to keep themselves confined to themselves alone, to keep them responsible for taking care of themselves when they've had a bad day, taking care of themselves when they're afraid or wounded or lonely. To break this cycle, we have to keep ourselves from taking on the responsibility for the well-being of others, but also from casting our own well-being onto other people. And ultimately, this brings us to the power of story to reflect our shadows and not just our light. So often, we can relate to the hero. We use him to identify the ways we're wronged by the world, and we feel a new sense of vindication. But often, we fail to see ourselves reflected in the villain. We fail to take stock and identify the ways in which we move from a core place of fear, self-loathing, and pain. Stories offer us this mirror, this opportunity. And to fully embrace growth, to really move into that place of the call to adventure, to transcend this unbearable weight, we must take that opportunity that's handed to us. We must explore it. We must sit in it with a sense of compassion and curiosity. Because even the villain has been wronged by the world in some ways. He, too, has wounds that are not his fault. So if you see your shadow reflected to you, don't shy away. Take time to understand it. Often the way we learn to get our needs met is something that becomes instilled in us because it is effective. It keeps us safe. When we're dealing with our own parents who are unparented, we have to learn pretty creative and inventive ways to feel safe and secure and validated. So when we set aside the denial and the shame and the judgment and the self-loathing of these realizations, we can move away from powerlessness and victimization. We, like the man on the journey, can finally accept responsibility for ourselves and ourselves alone, fully, wholeheartedly, and move forward in this great journey to healing. If you like what you heard today, keep the conversation going. Like, comment, share with others. Also, if you want to know more about me and my journey, head over to craftingwholeness.com where you can read more about the power of story to reveal ourselves to us, as well as some of the work I've written on my own path to wellness. With deep gratitude and love, I just want to thank you for tuning in today to Spiritual Storytelling.